Scanners detecting more trouble in Sector 9. No doubt it's the work of that nefarious criminal, the sworn enemy of the Galactic Alliance, the evil Emperor Zerg. Planetary Boogie! It's the Planetary Boogie! Planetary Boogie! It's the Planetary Boogie! <laughs> And now, the show that has the whole town cooking. The Kitchen Cabaret. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 545. And I'm here once again only to help you have the best vacation experience when you go to the Disney parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of that Disney magic wherever you are, not just with the podcast, but with my live videos on Facebook, books, audio tours, special events, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So one of my favorite aspects of Walt Disney World isn't just the food, but it's the wide variety of live entertainment. And over the past nearly five decades, we have seen so many different types of shows come to life on stage in the parks. From retellings of classic Disney animated films to some of the more unique concepts that included everything from a comic strip character from the 1930s to Barbie dolls, Chevy Chase and David Letterman, life-size Muppets, a pet detective, a sleeping bear, human animals, a motorcycle circus in the skies over Epcot, talking turtles, and other characters that weren't even from Disney. Let's just say it made for a very interesting array of offerings and the subject of this week's show as we look at some of the extinct stage shows of Walt Disney World. I'll then have the answer to last week's Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information about upcoming meets of the month, special events, my Momentum weekend workshop and retreat coming up this June, your voicemails and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. When you think of attractions in Walt Disney World, your mind probably goes to your favorite coaster, the classic dark rides, the newest high-tech flying adventure in Pandora, or maybe even your favorite show, which probably takes place inside an air-conditioned theater. For me, you probably know that my favorite attractions usually involve and include breakfast, lunch, dinner, and various snacks throughout the day or night. But one of my favorite parts of the Disney Parks experience, not just in Walt Disney World, but Disneyland, and what I've been very fortunate to see in places like Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Tokyo, are the live performances. From individual walk-around characters to interactive performances to Broadway-style productions, 
there is and always will be something special about enjoying a stage show performance. And over the years, Walt Disney World has been host to, and we have been treated to, a wide variety in location, type, duration, and concept. And yet, all good things must come to an end. Not really, because we still have things like Carousel Progress, but I digress. But this week, we're going to look at some of, because there's a lot, of the extinct shows of Walt Disney World. And joining me is a man who's both been on stage and we hope never goes extinct. He is a friend, author, raconteur, a former Walt Disney World cast member and entertainer, the still entertaining Mr. Jim Corcus. Hey, Heidi Ho, everybody. And and Lou, thank you for having me back on. It's 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 been way too long. I I I love your audience. I love sharing information with your audience and uh, when you suggested this topic i i knew i i, I had to be uh, uh part of it because a, as you say i i have a uh entertainment uh, uh background I've, I've performed in stage shows and on tv and in film I, i've even performed at uh, uh walt disney uh, world and and growing up out in california i will tell you that uh some of my favorite experiences at Disneyland were going to see shows, especially the uh, Golden Horseshoe Review. And yes, I am old enough that I, I actually got to see uh, uh, Wally Bogue. Uh, uh, in, in fact, when I was a kid, he had me up there on stage uh, and uh, uh, it scared me to death with that gag of, uh, yes, just stand over there over the trap door. You know, and the audience is howling with laughter, and I'm just this little kid, and I'm going, well, I, I don't want to fall down a trap door. Um, you know, and, and, and it was a, a, a great thing. And, and, and you know, uh, you, you talk about, the, you know, when people talk about the theme parks and Walt Disney World, you know, they talk about attractions, you know, you want to go on uh, Expedition Everest or Pirates of the Caribbean or whatever. Uh, at one time, uh, uh, the Disney Company referred to its shows as a live attraction. Hmm. That, that's that's how it was uh, identified that that a show was a live attraction, and uh, it, I think the, the shows at um, uh, Disney. And by golly, I wish somebody would write a book and, and, and cover some of these shows. Not me, not me, but, but somebody write a book and cover the, these shows because they just disappear, you know, uh, so quickly and they just go into the air. And, and, and sometimes we were fortunate enough that some of those shows were recorded and uh, in the early days of the Disney Channel, you know, sometimes they would record a show at uh, Videopolis at, at Disneyland and... Um, you know, uh, uh, show it on that. But a lot of those things have disappeared. But I think one of the things, we talk about the Disney difference, what makes going to Disney different? You know, it, it, it's an immersive experience. It's a, an intimate experience. You feel invested, you know, when, when you're in a Disney theme park. You feel like you're part of the family. You know, when I go to Universal, as wonderful as some of the things are there, 
I don't feel invested. I don't feel part of that uh, family. I don't even feel part of the history and tradition there. You know, so I think one of the things that is a Disney difference are the shows, because the shows at Disney are are so different at their core. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and and again, I've 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 seen shows I've liked. It. I, I grew up in California, so I see shows at Knott's Berry Farm. I, out here, I've I've seen shows at uh, 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 Universal the, the, that I liked. You know, I, I even liked when they had the uh, Bullwinkle show. You know, when they were <laughs> connected with the you know people Rocky have to Google people are googling Bullwinkle right now. Yes. <laughs> And, and and in fact, you know, that's one of the reasons I, I like being on this show is uh, it, it sends a lot of traffic to Google, you know. <laughs> what the heck are they talking about? Well, I've never and, heard of that. And to your point, you uh, know, I think, but, but, I think even today we're going to probably mention shows that people are going to be like, come on, man, that's not real. That's like one of those, you know, you, you think that you remember it from a long time ago, but it didn't really exist, you know, like the. Like the Pterosaurix. Splashtacular <laughs> that was then moved over to Galaxy Search. You know, wait, what are they talking about? <laughs> what is this? What is this? Right, and, there's and, no and way again, Disney had know, a show and, about this. And, right. and the thing is, is you know, the the wonderful performers, uh, the wonderful directors, you know, don't get any credit. You know, it 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 really is uh, anonymous. You know, you you take a look at that and. Uh, you know, you walk out of a production of uh, Hunchback of uh, Notre Dame at, uh, uh, at at the studios, and you go, wow, that was great, but I have no idea who yeah. was performing any of those people. I had no idea who the director was, you know, until I, I, I started, uh, uh, you know, working at Disney and doing some research, and okay, and then what else did this guy do, and what else did she do, and, and uh, all of that, and... Uh, so actually, the concept of shows starts with Walt Disney himself, because he wants his park, he wants Disneyland, he wants that to be more than just an amusement park. And so not only do you have shows, you have free shows. I don't think people realize how innovative that was in 1955. You know, if you went to an amusement park and there was a show... That's a that's a separate ticket. That's separate price. Even at Disneyland, having free restrooms <laughs> was amazing in '55 because in '55 most public venues had stalls that had coin slots, and so if you didn't have change, you were trying to crawl over or under. <laughs> you know, uh, if it was that desperate, Walt has and and the reason for the coin slots is that money was then used to maintain the restroom, you know, the cleanliness, making sure there's enough uh, toilet paper, things like that. Walt said, I'm going to cover that cost because I don't want people rustling through their, you know, pants or their purse or whatever and not having the right coin, you know. Well, they're going to bring that back because now all you got to do is swipe your magic band and you're in. (laughs) So... Listen, everything, everything. I, I, I'm waiting for the day that I walk into Walt Disney World and they said, uh, uh, say, um, uh, yes, and would you like to breathe air today? <laughs> <laughs> you can charge that on your magic band here, you know, or, or here, maybe on your app. You can, you know, 
uh, do that. But anyway, free entertainment. And, and so Walt, of course, you know, had, had the, the marching band and there, there was a bandstand, the Golden Horseshoe Review, of course, the uh, Dickens Carolers at Christmas, the ragtime piano player at the Coke Corner, Dapper Dan's, uh, all of that. And my gosh, people just went crazy. So now you're going to open Walt Disney World in 1971 and the entire thing is completely different. You know, I, I got a, talk, a chance to talk with uh, Ron Logan, who is, uh, uh, started as a musical performer at Disneyland, later worked his way up, and he was uh, uh, vice president of uh, Walt Disney Live Entertainment. He, he teaches now at uh, uh, UCF. I don't know if you ever have had him on the program. Maybe you want to schedule him in, in, in the future there. But um, and one of the things he teaches up at UCF is the you know history of Disney Entertainment, and and you can't cover everything. But one of the things that he pointed out to me is here you're coming out to Florida, and it's completely different than Southern California because in Southern California you have this large and diverse pool of uh, you got musicians, you got singers, you got actors, you got directors, you got stage, you, and and you've got all of these places that have um, uh, stage resources. So if you need a light, you need a Fresnel, mm-hmm. you need a a Lico, whatever, you know, it it you can have it within the hour. You know, Central Florida, Orlando, it's this little sleepy agricultural <laughs> community. Even when I came out in 1995. I'm driving down Central Florida Parkway, which is where SeaWorld is, and part of it is a dirt road, and over to the side, just minutes away from from SeaWorld, is this huge pasture with cows in it. (laughs) And and I'm going, wait a minute, isn't Orlando supposed to be one of the main cities in in, in Florida? Uh, So you come out to Florida, and and you don't have... um, the talent pool, you know, to pull from. And then what makes it even worse is that Walt Disney World is is even bigger. You know, if you have a 16-piece marching band in Disneyland, it's going to be a 20-piece one at Walt Disney World, you know? Um, and uh, if, uh, so they're, they're holding auditions in, in Orlando and, and Chicago and New York and Los Angeles and Miami. And uh, in Miami, they had to use the Eastern Airlines uh uh, production center because Eastern Airlines, the official you know airline of Disneyland, uh, because Disney didn't have uh, didn't have to go around the country you know to hold auditions, so they didn't have any you know location. They went to Las Vegas because they were looking for entertainment uh, for the Top of the World nightclub mm-hmm. at the Contemporary. So I'll bet there are people here who who uh, go what 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 was what was that you know. Yeah, and and there were top acts, you know. Uh, Mel Torme would sing there, people <laughs> like that. And but Mel Torme, you, you'd put him up in the contemporary for a week. You know, that was the other big problem. You know, out in California, you could get this talent because they lived there. There wasn't talent that lived in Orlando, so mm-hmm. now you're, you've got this added expense of you've got to find housing for these people. You know, or at least temporary housing, you know, and relocation expenses and, and and all of this. And then also on the East Coast, uh, the talent was just, there were people eager to get a job at Walt Disney World, just like today. 
You know, I, 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 I know of people who say, I would even just pay Disney, you know, to have a job as an Imagineer or, or as an animator or, or to work there, whatever, you know. But once you get the job, you have to realize it's a job. Right. And, and so they're hiring these uh, musicians and all. And, and these are guys and uh, women who are, who are used to doing maybe one performance a night, you know, in a nice, comfortable, you know, recital hall or concert hall. And they come out here and they realize they're doing six or seven shows a day and they're playing the exact same music mm-hmm. and they're in the heat and humidity of Central Florida. And, and so Ron was telling me, you know, in less than 30 days, a lot of them were just saying, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, you guys are crazy. And, you know, in terms of hiring talent, and I'm talking about, you know, uh, being a performer myself out in Southern uh, California, is you're always looking for your next gig. You're always looking for your next job. And you're also looking for what are side jobs. You know, so even if you're in a play, you know, all right, the days that I'm off, you know, the the play's not running Sunday. What else is around here? Is is there a cabaret where I can perform? Is there a a gig I can get in a convention show, things like that? None of that existed out here. None of that. And and then you talk about characters, you know, uh, in, in the first year, they had to hire more than 200 people to uh, uh, be friends of Disney characters because, uh, you know, there's the parades, there's the meet and greets. You've now got uh, uh, resorts. Uh, you know, you have all of, all of this uh, stuff here, and none of them have been in training. And then to to make it worse, you know, when you're in fur there and you're out here in in heat and humidity, it's like, wait a minute, what's going on with this here? You know, I love you, Mickey. Yes, and I have sweat dripping down my face. I can't even see your face of, 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 of what this is. And so some of those challenges still even exist, uh, uh, Today, you know, uh, although, you know, having Disney on your um, uh, performance resume is uh, um, really a, a, a sort of a gold star, you know, is something I, I remember Dick Nunes used to tell and people going, Dick Nunes, where, where's Google? Dick Nunes, uh, Dick Nunes, who is in charge of all the parks, uh, Dick Nunes uh, would tell people when they got hired, he, he would say, uh, I can't guarantee that you'll like your job. I can't guarantee that you'll like the people that you work with. Uh, but I can guarantee that when you tell people that you work at Disney or you mm-hmm. worked at Disney, people are going to want to talk about it. Right. And that was absolutely uh, uh, true. Now, now, Lou, did you ever consider wanting to be a Disney performer, even even just for a little bit? Did did you want to be in fur? Did you, <laughs> did, did you, did you want to be on, on stage uh, uh, in the background of uh, Beauty and the Beast and, you know, uh, raising your pitchfork in the air? So I will tell you, this is actually an interesting topic to me for a number of reasons, not just as a guest who remembers either vividly or somewhat vaguely some of these shows, but I actually started off in college as a theater major. So I did theater all throughout high school, and that was the path 
that I thought that I was going to go down. And mm-hmm. to be honest, you know, I, I look back and there's a small part of me that says, wow, you know, I wonder what if I had ever been a cast member, um, you know, what that experience mm-hmm. would have been like. And I don't regret it at all because I, I don't think I would be here if I ended up if I if I was a cast member. Uh, but I think there's still something special about only having seen things from this side of of. Um, you know, of, of well, front of the stage and backstage. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I, but and, I think and, this and, is. And, and so what parts did you play in school? What, what, uh, what, listen, uh, I, what, what plays were you in? <laughs> I, I am not going to say anything other than there is, um, there, there may or may not be a, a, <laughs> a, a videotape of me in Greece. Do not ask me who I was, uh, but um, I, that is going to go. I could, I, I could I, I, you know, I, I've I've directed plays and things like that. I I, I would have cast you as Nathan Detroit in in Guys and Dolls. I can neither confirm nor deny any other um, <laughs> any other roles that I may have played. But this is not about me, Jim. I'm, look at how quickly I'm changing okay, the topic. But, but, but again, I, I think a lot of the listeners out there too either again have that same, you know, either they're in school and they're they're looking at a at a theater career or they're, um, uh. Whatchamajiggy, or or sometimes you know even when they watch the Academy Awards, you know during the commercial break they're they're running into the bathroom looking in the mirror, you know practicing their acceptance speech, you know I I, I think there there's always that feeling in the back of of most people's minds of you know well I might be able to do that you know I you know I, I and uh, people think I'm funny and uh, you know. Uh, this could could happen, and and for those out there who are who are seriously thinking about that, again, get as much experience as you can in as many uh, with as many different directors, as many different uh, uh, styles of production, and and whatever, because Disney goes out uh, throughout the country and, and does auditions. My my brother just retired um, last. Uh, uh, last year, but uh, he was the casting director for uh, Walt Disney World, and he, he, you know, he would fly out to places and and watch these things. And at your audition, you only have, you know, a short amount of time to really show. Yes, you know, you know what's going on. You, you know, you can produce because that's the toughest thing when when you see somebody audition as a director. You've got to decide: is this the best? this person is ever going to be able to do uh or and if it is the best are they then going to just fall back or get worse or do i see something there with the right you know suggestion or whatever this person can you know push and and or and does this person have the right attitude because they're not just that solo star they've got to work with with uh uh, other people, you know, um, and I will bet that most people listening to this uh, podcast right now don't realize, other than the Golden Horseshoe Review, which of course was in a, um, you know, uh, uh, enclosed uh, theater, what the first live action show was at Disneyland that, uh, really 
set the dominoes uh, going for all of these other things. And I will tell you, it is one of my favorite live-action performances done at Disneyland and also at Walt Disney World. The Kids of the Kingdom. Kids of the Kingdom first appeared at Disneyland in uh, 1968. You know, they uh, at the time, uh, they were modeled after groups like uh, Up With People. Up, up <laughs> With People, you find them. Uh, and the Doodletown Pipers and all this. And, and so basically what, what you've got is you've got these uh, uh, sort of uh, young college age, clean cut, perky, upbeat you know, performers singing upbeat, you know, perky songs. You know, the, uh, at, at Disneyland, they even released a, uh, uh, a record album, uh, The Young Singing Stars of Disneyland, you know. Uh, so you might be able to track that down on YouTube or, or, or whatever. And uh, again, so it was a group of about 15 people. And again, I talked with Ron Logan, because Ron Logan was at Disneyland when, while this was happening. And he said, we got them because, you know, uh, they were perky and they were pretty and they were cheap. <laughs> because they're college performers, right? And, and, and they're all dressed in the, the same outfit and they're up there on, 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 on stage and they're doing this. And right now, I want to give a shout out to somebody who I feel should be a Disney legend. The choreographer for Kids of the Kingdom out there at Disneyland and also at Walt Disney World, Barnett Ritchie, R-I-C-C-I. And, and, and you'll probably try to Google and you won't find anything. Uh, she started out as a dancer in the parades. It, her first big gig was choreographing you know, uh, Kids of the Kingdom, but she later went on to direct Disneyland's Main Street Electrical Parade she was the artistic creator and director for the original Fantasmic. Uh, mm. She did the same stuff out here in in uh, Florida. She supervised, and she's still alive. So Lou Mangello, track her down. I think mm. she's in Arizona. Um, and uh, you know, my gosh, nobody knows this this name except some of the people who worked in in Disney Entertainment. And she was responsible for some of this great entertainment that uh, we we saw at both Disneyland and Walt Disney World. And and Kids of the Kingdom were it. And Kids of the Kingdom um, uh, did a, a show called, uh, um, what, uh, Disneyland is Your Land. And, and then a version of that was performed out here at Walt Disney World, Disney World is Your World. But, you know, they're, they're out there, and Disneyland is your land. What a great stage show. It had, um, uh, uh, of course, it had the, the theme song that kept repeating, but each of the sections had a segment uh, on each of the lands uh, that, that were out there. They, they, out here in um, uh, Walt Disney World, they also did a show called Showbiz Is. You know, which had uh, Broadway and holiday tunes, and Ron Logan joked. He said, "Showbiz is what? 
<laughs> what is it? I don't know. <laughs> we just put them up there, and 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 uh, you know uh, that that was doing it. But I saw Kids of the Kingdom, and I will tell you, uh, and, and their costumes changed. Originally, the costumes were, um, you know, uh, white. You know, cause mm-hmm. nice and clean. You know, with the, this red and and I, and I think there was a gold trim as well, uh, 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 too. And uh, oh gosh, the, those those Disney girls. You know, it was just like, oh my gosh, and and they had legs that just went on forever. And it's like, okay, I want to just. Get, don't, don't you want to go over and ride this right? No, I want to see the show. The so that's show. so that's my memories. Like, and so I'm not sure if this is one of those you know false memories, like the the, the Sinbad movie uh, of of uh, of Shazam. But didn't they play at the old um, fantasy fair in Fantasyland? Yes, and and also the uh, uh, Tomorrowland Stage Theater w- w- was that and. Out here in uh, Walt Disney World, they also played on the Tomorrowland uh, Terrace stage. You know, right. the, the stage that would raise up out of the the, the ground there. You know, and, and again, they were the utility uh, performers, you know, because, uh, again, you, you just have this mobile group of, uh, and, and, and I think the group got cut down to something like eight or ten maybe. And, and it was integrated, integrated. Even starting in 1968, you you, you had uh, uh, a couple who were uh, uh, African American, and uh, uh, so you could move them uh, everywhere, you know. And uh, uh, it's like, oh my gosh, you know. So you can move them out for events, and and so at Disneyland they disappeared by '85, and so uh, and my heart broke. My heart broke. But I came out to uh, Florida in 95, and, uh, you know, you've you still got Kids of the Kingdom uh, out here, although they were finishing up. And then uh, Tokyo had an all-Japanese cast, you know, uh, doing this. And they were just so perky. <laughs> they were just so perky and so clean and so, and smiling and all that. But Kids of the Kingdom were, were important not just because it, 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 it's a nostalgic favorite for me, but as I said, I was talking with Ron Logan, and, and I was talking about, yeah, but what about you know character shows? You had characters. He said, well, the very first time is we integrated a couple of characters into some of the later um, Kids of the Kingdom show. And he said, my gosh, that was a tough decision because we had all of this long discussion and all of this. Is this appropriate to have Disney characters up on a stage? You know, now it's like, you know, a no-brainer. You know, is this, you know, what is this, whatever. But they introduced characters into the Kids of the Kingdom show, and it became so popular that it then transitioned. So now you have um, uh, stage shows that just have the characters. You know, like, like uh, uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas, where you have... Uh, Mickey and Minnie and, and the big fireplace there and Chip and Dale drop by and the the, uh, the country bears drop by, you know, and, and uh, uh, all of this. That happened because they experimented with Kids of the Kingdom and it just went crazy. And here's something that you can only get listening to the <laughs> Lou Mangello WDW uh, radio show. The very first Disney stage show 
that featured all characters was here at Walt Disney World. Hmm. And that was a, and that was a Christmas show and again because it was such a hit such a hit that then it started to develop, you know, and and now we we expect characters in all of these shows, right? I want, I, I like seeing the characters up there they're dancing and the and the, the whole bit. So well, and it's funny because when you say characters, as I was thinking about this list, right, because we said, look, there, there's no way, especially because you and I like to talk a lot, there's no way we can cover every single one of the extinct stage shows. So I started to sort of go through before even sort of, you know, going to do any research of mm-hmm. ones that stuck out in my mind. And there were a few and I sort of quickly jotted them down. And I think well, share share with us, Mr. Mangello. So as I look at my list and I try to decide which one to to cover first, unlike you, Jim, I will not go with one that that tugged at my heartstrings and have has very sentimental, personal, nostalgic things for me. But it's one that I think is going to fall in this subcategory of not just extinct shows of Walt Disney World, but unique. Very different, dare I say, a bit odd stage shows of Walt Disney World. You're probably going, what is he talking about? There could be so many. I think that when you think of unique, extinct stage shows of Walt Disney World, we would be remiss if we did not start off with the ambassador of friendship, my friend and yours, the magical world of Barbie. I kid you not, if you're listening and are like Barbie and Walt Disney World, not only yeah, was she, and, and that was that was from what ninety three to ninety five. Yeah. Right? So and right and so you think, oh, Barbie, she must be somewhere in Fantasyland, or she's in, no, <laughs> Barbie was in Epcot. So let's sort of go back in time a little bit. Uh, Ep, um, and, and, Disney- and and actually, I think this show gets a bad rap. You know, a lot of people use this as an example <laughs> of you know uh, how how does this blend in with with Epcot or or whatever. I, I think uh, entertainment, given the idea that they had to come up with a show that had to have Barbie because you, you now have that relationship with Mattel, so you've right. got to reinforce that, and it's got to connect with, you know, the world showcase. I think what they came up with was, was, was pretty darn clever. So right, I think, go ahead. I think, tell, uh, tell, tell us about the magical <laughs> world of, of, of Barbie, and I will bet you still have the VHS uh, uh, tape of Barbie's birthday party, which, which uh, has some clips from the show. Not only, Jim, do I have my, my library of VHS tapes, but I also have many of the wonderful, oddly enough, believe it or not, they came up with commemorative Barbie, like Disney fun Barbie dolls and the four parts, mm. one world doll. I have them all just lined up hermetically sealed on my, on my uh, credenza. <laughs> so, so, so that's your 401k that's plan, it. right? <laughs> exactly. So, so right. So, so Disney and Mattel have this um, um, agreement in place. So it's, it's a, it's an interesting way to sort of create something that was, that came up from the product-based relationship to something that is a uh, a stage show. Now, and and from what I remember and what I saw in my research, there were multiple versions of the show. And when I say multiple versions, there was the day one version, 
And there was a day two version, which was different. They actually rewrote the show. They rewrote some of the yes. show from day one to day two because there was a there were, there were a variety of different segments, right? So let's sort of go back. They 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 took Barbie through uh, a, a number of different stops ar- around the world, including right. places that were not in World she's Showcase. The ambassador of friendship, right? So, so she that's went, why she's going around the world visiting her her counterparts, you know. Uh, around the world there. Right. So she stopped in, you know, she stopped in France. She went to Paris, but she also stopped in Australia, which was obviously right, still not a world. Right, the of Australia and the jungles of Africa. You're right. And there was Wombat Dundee in there who made a joke <laughs> about throwing a shrimp on the Barbie. So yes. um, I, I think they decided to to make some changes to um, to revise a little of that. But so it wasn't just... Barbie and and Ken, they had Skipper and PJ and Todd and Brad and Stacy and Jazzy and all these very eighties well, well, names. You've got to have, and and of course they're constantly changing clothes, and and there are plenty of stunts happening on on stage. You have performers on skateboards. You have uh, inline skating, uh, trampolines. I remember trampolines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know was- and. And, and and do you remember how Barbie and Ken arrived at the American Gardens Theater? Well, and I think that's the thing. When you think of the magical world of Barbie stage show, you're you. There's a couple of things that I remember. So one was this show ending with um, doves being released, and mm-hmm. then shooting off fireworks, which probably was not the best idea in the world. But it was how she. How she got there and how she left, and and every part of this is one of those things that people say, no, no, no. It's impossible that Barbie arrived by car on the promenade. Not only did she arrive by car, but she arrived by a limousine, originally Mickey's limousine. A pink limousine. A pink pink limousine. Oh, yeah. If you if you thought the pink castle cake was good, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet because she arrived in this huge limousine that was originally created for Mickey's 60th birthday party and right, like the, Barbie, the limousine, the limousine, right. yeah. And there was um, it was like Barbie herself. There was all these like sparkles on the outside and memorabilia yeah, inside. Sparkles on the outside, Barbie memorabilia on the inside. So when the doors were open, you could see that inside. And you can stop and, and take pictures with, with Barbie and Ken. It was like they were yeah. arriving for the Oscars. Like it was sort of like this red carpet um, arrival. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the show only lasted, uh, so I think it's sort of what, like in 94? And... Actually, November 93 was when okay. it, it started and it ended May 95. Yeah, so, so relatively short lived um but- and 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 Mattel offered that special thing that for a penny and a lid off of a a, a special barbie you could send it in and you'd get a 20 minute videotape uh of uh uh barbie's birthday at epcot which featured some segments from the show mm-hmm. and 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 also some some other things and so for some people that's the only um tangible memory uh, they have of that. And, and Barbie was played by uh, Beth McShane and Ken... Oh, gosh, I, I should have researched this. 
he he went on to a long uh, performing career at, at Disney. Nicest guy in the world. Um, his so, family w- w- was good too. I can't remember who played Ken, but so there was two. Uh, there was, there was, was Ken Passman and Billy Flanagan. Billy Flanagan. Billy Flanagan is who I was thinking about. My gosh, what a talented performer! And he, um, uh, his family was uh, uh, just wonderful, and his kids loved it that he was Ken. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, the funny thing is, is that. Um, uh, Jody Benson of The Little Mermaid um, uh, ended up uh, voicing uh, Barbie in the uh, Toy Story movies. And uh, Mattel didn't want Barbie in the first Toy Story movie because they, they felt Toy Story was just going to bomb and be terrible. <laughs> but but they did still put in Barbie's uh, legs. It's one of those uh, mutant toys that are in there. Uh, so officially, no, Barbie's not in there. But, yeah, they, they put put that in there. But uh, Jody Benson uh, uh, was doing Candlelight Processional, and uh, she just started to tear up when people said, well, you know, you're on the same stage that Barbie was on. <laughs> <laughs> because, again, she had never heard of Magical World of Barbie. And, 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 and I, I can understand that. But, but oftentimes that's, you know, just trotted out about, you know, well, how they're diluting and they don't understand, you know, the Epcot, uh, uh, you know, brand and all that. And I, I said, well, she went around the world for crying out loud. Yeah, she went you know? to Africa and, yeah, she went to a number – and she had sort of little adventures. Yeah, she yeah. went to the runways of Paris and, 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 and she's singing about the importance of accessorizing and, and things like that. <laughs> I will tell you, though, my all-time uh, favorite uh, – show that I miss and I'm sorry that and I know why Disney removed it and I wish they would bring it back Diamond Horseshoe Review hmm. which when it opened in uh, October 71 it, it was sort of a mirror image of uh, the Golden Horseshoe Review which was was so popular and for those who are not familiar with that basically you're in a in a saloon unfortunately you know there's uh, there's tables and chairs and it only seats 300 so no matter how much food and drink they sell, it can't cover the labor cost. It can't cover the entertainment cost. So that's one of the reasons, you know, it disappeared. But but basically, you have can-can dancers. You have a, a, a singer. You have a traveling salesman uh, who's a comedian who's pulling things out of his carpet bag. And for me, the high point, of course, other than the can-can dancers, was um, uh, uh, Pecos Bill, you know, uh, and he gets his uh, 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 Slufutsu, uh, uh hits him in, in, in the mouth, and he spits out teeth uh, to the audience. <laughs> and the guy who created all of this is Wally Bogue, a true Disney legend. And again, you know, it's tough to find entertainment uh, performers out here in, in Florida, so they flew Wally out to direct the show and to do... Uh, the Pecos Bill and traveling salesman character for the first three years, you know, and to get it up to speed. And then they brought out his um, uh, understudy uh, who was doing it in California, uh, Bert Henry, and then Bev Bergeron uh, was out here, and they did this. And uh, uh, the show lasted until 1986. 
and again, you know, Disney is looking at, you know, what, what is the cost for this? You, you, you've got a pit band down here and all of this. So in, in, um, 86, they change it to the diamond horseshoe jamboree. So you have Sam, the bartender mm-hmm. and miss Lily, you know, and so you, uh, uh, you know, and you're already getting to the point now where you're cutting it down from four can can dancers to two, you know, and, um, uh, and instead of the pit band, you just have uh, a piano uh, uh, player down there. And uh, so Sam, the bartender, is the host, and, and he's in love with Miss Lily, but he can't tell her. And, you know, you go, go through this. And then in 95, they transformed it again into the Diamond Horseshoe Saloon Review with Wildcat Kate and Bill Yalater. Um and this was done by uh, Chris Oyen, one of the really great directors at uh, uh, Walt Disney World. He's still working there today. He, he's the one who directed me as uh, Merlin the Magician, which is another show I missed tremendously. Uh, and so he did the Horseshoe uh, uh, Saloon Review because uh, basically uh, people's attention span is uh, uh, going, you know. Uh, they they don't want to sit there, you know, uh, for that long, and um, they don't want to sit for twenty minutes, thirty minutes. You know, that's one of the reasons uh, Timekeeper left in in uh, Tomorrowland there, um, and uh, you know, so again, you're, you're cutting back, and Chris did it so that um, there are breaks. So you see an act, and then there's a musical interlude, so people can leave, people can come in. And so basically you could see an entirely uh, uh, a different show. You might, you might see a, uh, a magician up there on the stage. You might sing a, uh, see a guy uh, uh, playing his uh, uh, banjo and interacting, you know, with uh, uh, the audience. And um, uh, people love the dancing girls. So, uh, they had uh, Lucille Lamore and her lovely ladies, which again you, you've got the two dancers. But instead of just doing the can-can, they would do a clog dance and and uh, these other things as well uh, uh, too. And so they were desperately, desperately looking at you know how can we, you know, uh, keep this thing surviving. And, and the reason. Uh, the Diamond Horseshoe survived as long as it did, is Dick Nunes loved it. Dick Nunes loved, just like Walt loved Golden Horseshoe out in California, Dick Nunes loved the Diamond Horseshoe um, uh, out here in in Florida, and some of his senior staff loved coming in and, you know, uh, flirting with the waitresses. And, and this was not run, believe it or not, by food and beverage. It was run by attractions. <laughs> and... Um, uh, so again, you know, you're you're just not uh, uh, making the income to to cover the labor and and the performance, and and then again, it, it's capacity. And so, you know, once Nunes leaves, you know, you've got the bookkeepers taking a look here, and they say, you know, we're we're only entertaining, uh, you know, a, a, a thousand guests or so, you know, a day, and uh, you know, they, compared with the number of people coming to. Walt Disney World, you know, and, and and again, when it was back when it was the Diamond Horseshoe Review, it was so packed you had to go early in the morning and get reservations on Main Street. 
you know, or else you didn't get in to see the four or five shows a day. Yeah, this so this was so, something that I, I remember because my dad, I'm going to get all weepy. My dad okay. loved this show. So first thing in the morning, what does little Lou Mangello want to do? He wants to go and ride rides and, and go with his dad and have his dad push the pedals, obviously, at the Speedway. My dad goes to the Disneyana Collectibles, and then I think eventually maybe it was, it was uh, Town Hall, because you yes, had to make yes. reservations and get tickets. So you right. had to have and, little t- and, and it was it was free. It was complimentary right, tickets, right. but you had to have that reservation. But once and you could eat there, but once the Adventureland uh veranda closed, which was sort of on the opposite, they shared a kitchen. So once that mm-hmm. closed, it was you weren't able to get sort of that same type of full sit-down meal that you used to. So I remember No, no, going, there, there there were pre-wrapped the, sandwiches uh, and sandwiches. Yeah, I remember uh, being very you, you disappointed. Could, you, you could get chips. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think Del Pepsi Monte Cola, was a, yeah. a sponsor for uh, a while. So I remember sort of going there and, and saying, "Oh, my dad would be disappointed," you know, because they don't have the full menu and it wasn't the full show. And then it was the goofy country dance and jamboree, and then it was the right. The Toy and, Story and what show. they did is they removed all the tables and chairs, and you had. Um, uh, characters from uh, uh, Toy Story, uh, 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 Woody, right, and Jesse, and and uh, Bullseye, and all that that you could you could sort of meet and greet. And I think now it's seasonal; so, like it'll be open seasonally again, not with with only pre wrapped food. Foods. Yeah, but yeah. but no entertainment, and 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 they've they've also used it for um, uh, merchandise events. I remember one D twenty three event; they had special limited yeah. edition D twenty three merchandise in there, and. You had to, uh, and and I saw the lines out front, and it's it's like I have enough uh, Disney merchandise. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's so let's go hit let's go hit an, another one in terms of of extinct shows that we love and remember. Okay. And, and there's ones again, Jim. I, as I go through the list, I'm thinking of ones from a, a personal perspective because the shows were so varied in terms of. The characters, the level of guest interaction. Um, some of them were were funnier. Some of them were um, were taken from um, screen versions of of some of the films. So I, yeah, where do I want to go next? All right. So you know, what? I'm going to go over to I'm going to go back to Disney MGM Studios, where I think a lot of these great shows. Yes, were yes. And, and, and went away from. And I'm going to go back to opening day. So there's not a lot. This is a very small window of what kind of shows it could be. But yeah, uh, like the nearby superstar television, the show was sponsored by Sony, and it was a little, a little ditty called The Monster Sound Show. And <laughs> <laughs> what I liked I, I, about I, I, this... Yes. Right, so yeah. what I liked about this was, was really twofold. Was one... Three. One, it was funny. Two, due in large part because of the number of celebrity cameos. And three, because it was truly, we keep talking about the levels of interactivity that are in and are coming to the parks. This was a very interactive show. So even from the minute... And and, and again, for for those younger folks in in the listening audience, you should probably explain what the show was. Right. So so the idea was um, to... Again, this is MGM Studios. When it opened, it was about the magic of the movies and not only the celebration of the movies today and Hollywood that never was and always will be, yada, 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 but it was 
sort of peeking behind the curtain and seeing how movies are made. So this was really about allowing you to be a Foley artist, right? To the, the person that sort right. of used everyday items to create the sounds that are created for films. So when you got yeah, in- Yes, like walking on gravel or, uh, yeah, door closing, things like that, yeah. Right, so sort of those secrets behind how it's done and, and in a very fun, entertaining way. And when you first walked in into that pre-show area, you, the first celebrity that you saw was David Letterman. And there mm-hmm. were films that had, um, I think the film had uh, Chevy Chase. Uh, there was a little, the Chevy Chase Martin Short film was in there as well. And mm-hmm. that was, you were in this, um, I don't know if they ever gave them the mansion a name, like this creepy old like haunted house and Chevy Chase was Mr. Lucky. And, and as he's going through, you're sort of hearing and seeing all the sound effects, like you said, sort of that the the he was like walking like Frankenstein and opening the creaky door mm-hmm. and and what was going on outside. And I think that's when, um, um, oh gosh, uh, Martin Short was was on the other side. So after they showed you the film, they would actually pull out some members of the audience and put them into different stations to create the different effects that they had to make. So one person had to create. The exterior, you know, the the thunder and the lightning and the, mm-hmm. the fire and doorknobs and things like that. The second station had a little uh, console that had the broken glass. There was the barking dog, the the famous um, goofy yell. Station three mm-hmm. was the Foley pit where you would actually go and walk on the gravel and wood and the cement. And then the fourth station created the wind and the creaking sounds. And then the audience participated by yelling. They would hold up cue cards. They would tell them to look out or it was almost like a little Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know, telling mm-hmm. the audience to uh, to participate. And then they would reshow the film with the audience created soundtrack. Um, and, and, then there was and, a- and, and, and so, yeah, you're laughing at all the, the flubs where it, it came in too soon or too late or it was the wrong sound effect or whatever, yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that I loved, and again, that attraction went through a lot of variations over the years, you know, the the uh, uh, Drew Carey version, and then uh, there was one where uh, 101 Dalmatians. Right. Well, it was ABC, you know, I think it was ABC Sound, right, it was ABC Sound Studio for a while, and, and um, Roger Rabbit, right? Remember when Roger, we talked about this in the, on a show in the past, when Roger Rabbit mm-hmm. was going to be the next big thing so that you could sort of recreate yes. and imitate um, Roger Rabbit, and then, like you said, there was the, the the sounds dangerous Drew Carey version. I think now they for a while they had Disney Infinity. I think they still do. In, it, obviously, the the studios is going through changes as we're recording this, mm-hmm. but um, that space is sort of just used right now as almost a you know a holding area until it sort of goes through its next transformation. Isn't that space also used now to show um, movie previews of upcoming Disney films? So the space next door is where Path of the Jedi is currently being shown. And, you uh, come, okay. yeah, you come out through um, that. But remember they used to have the sound booths? You could actually walk into the sound booths as well. Oh, and yeah, had- the, the whole post-show area, you, you have some sound effect devices that were actually created by uh, Jimmy McDonald. People know Jimmy McDonald as the, the, one of the voices of Mickey Mouse, but he did sound effects for... 
for Disney films for for decades, you know, uh, uh, starting with uh, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You know, he 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 had an old battered wallet in in his uh, pants that he would pull out and he would squeak back and forth for the dwarves' um, uh, uh, shoes hitting mm. the <laughs> hitting the ground. And and so for me, the exciting thing was, oh my gosh, this is created by Jimmy McDonald. You know, and nobody else knew what that was or what that meant or what. You know, and as long as we're over at Disney MGM, I I think we've got to spend time talking about the premiere show there, Hunchback of Notre I Dame. I was so hoping that's what adventure. You, when you said premiere, I'm like, I hope he says Hunchback. Otherwise, we're going to have a difference of opinion. Yeah, no, I, my, you know, I I would take people uh, uh, there to. Um, see it who had never even seen the animated cartoon and they loved it because it was so uh you know uh uh theatrical mm-hmm. it, it was like you know oh my gosh and and again just like beauty and the beast uh uh this show opened the same day the film opened was released to uh theaters so 1996 and it ran to about uh what 2002 and it was like this is the show that's never going to die because people just, mm-hmm. you know, are going crazy over this. And I, I never got out to Disneyland to see the uh, uh, Hunchback uh, show Festival of Fools that they did out at Big Thunder Ranch, but it didn't make any difference to me because it's like, this is the show. You know, they're, reta- they're retelling the story of, of uh, uh, Hunchback within 30 minutes. They're doing... They're doing most of the songs, not all of the songs, but they're doing most of the songs, and and they're doing and they're using uh, uh, puppets. Uh, Michael Curry uh, design stepped in and helped with the the puppets, and so uh, uh, Jolly the the goat is, is this marionette uh, uh, puppet, you know, and and you oh yeah. and and you know it, it always amazed me that people never realized that you know Esmeralda wears one earring, and then you look at jolly the goat and uh, jolly the goat is wearing one earring on the opposite ear and it's the exact same earring so you know you associate that the two of these are, are together uh, this show was directed by fran Schoder, and and one of the reasons I'm, I'm trying to push out names is because working at disney is an anonymous job but some of these people uh deserve um this credit and and uh he certainly deserves credit for that show he he was also the original uh director for uh voyage of the little mermaid and uh the legend of the lion king puppet show over mm-hmm. at magic kingdom and unfortunately he was also the director of journey into the jungle book <laughs> over at theater of the wild at disney animal <laughs> kingdom and and i don't know if you were out here and, and got it got a chance to see it in previews but in previews they hadn't finished the costume so uh, uh, the actors portraying, you know, uh, things like King Louie and whatever, the, the masks weren't ready. So you, you got to see the performer's face and it was really pretty impressive. And then as soon as they stuck the, the face mask on them, it just didn't read to the audience. And, uh, the show only lasted there for a year and then got replaced by Tarzan rocks, which I personally didn't care for, except for the vine ballet with Tarzan and, and Jane. I didn't care for the, apes skating like right. starlight express through the audience <laughs> but right. it, but it was there from 99 to 2006 right. i remember the time anyway, period that back, it was in right back to disney mgm back to hunchback of notre dame 
Uh, it, it was at the Backlot Theater there, which has a capacity of 1,500 people. 1,500 people. And you, you probably didn't realize that, but I remember sitting on the bleachers. I remember that there was this uh, 40-foot-long thrust stage mm-hmm. runway that thrust out in, into the which uh, I loved. into the yeah. audience. And, you know, uh, it, it they did this show five times a day, and it there was a cast of over... 20 and now you're getting into why there's no hunchback in Notre Dame anymore. Um, a musical adventure is you've got that large cast, but that's not enough in order to do a show like hunchback. You have to have three full casts. And the reason for that is because, uh, performers at Disney are covered by equity, which is the stage union, which covers Broadway shows and whatever. And equity determines that a performer can only work X amount of time, you know. Then, if they agree, they can be worked more, but now you're going into golden time. You're paying, you know, this extra money and all of this. So it's simpler just to have separate casts. And then, in addition, you have to have um, some backup performance. So in case somebody phones in, uh, is sick or is unable to show up or whatever, you know, you fill that in. So this is getting to be, and again, this is a free show, mm-hmm. a free show. And, uh, you know, Broadway level. <laughs> and, uh, so this is getting to be, you know, very expensive, uh, here for this to do. And then what people don't realize with the stage shows is, you know, someone like Fran Schroeder, Schroeder would, uh, you know, get the, the show up and running. And then about a month or so later, he's off to another show, you know, he's off to another project. And so what they have is they have a maintenance director who comes in and occasionally goes in to make sure that the show stays at the standard it needs to, uh, to stay at, you know, show standard, uh, show quality standards. And then the, the maintenance director also runs pickup rehearsals. And for those who are not theater-oriented, what a pickup rehearsal is, is every couple of weeks or so you go in and you do a rehearsal with that cast to get them back up to that original level, you know, of opening day. And also pickup rehearsals are there uh, if you're bringing in new cast members, you know, who are going to be filling in spots and all that. And you do that. So, again, this is all um, uh, increasing you know, uh, the cost, as I said, uh, how does this man know Fran Schroeder? Uh, Fran Schroeder, as I said, was the, uh, original director for Voyage of the Little Mermaid. When he left the maintenance director who came in to keep Little Mermaid going for a couple of years was my brother, Michael Corkus. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Mike was also the uh, maintenance director for, uh, Indiana Jones, uh, as well. So, you know, and and you do these pickup rehearsals late at night, mm. you know. Walt Disney World now closes at, at, at what, 3 a.m. or something <laughs> like that, and then it's going to open at 6 a.m. the next morning. So, so you have to do the pickup rehearsals, you know, uh, uh, in, in, that, uh, in, in that time period. So, you know, uh, zero dark hundred. You know, when I was doing... Uh, uh, when I was a friend of Merlin the Magician, uh, my final uh, dress rehearsal 
was uh, 3 a.m. in uh, Fantasyland at the Magic Kingdom. And uh, we had to, and uh, there there were stops and starts, you know, because I knew my stuff. But but what was happening is Merlin also has to in- interact with uh, technical cues. So, you know, you have to time that out and work through that and work over that and then, you know, uh, shift through that. It, it's, uh, you know... But, well, but anyway, th- there were also, I, 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 I just love the Hunchback show. I did too. I, I thought great. it was a beautiful show. I mean, visually, from the set to the costumes to the music to the puppets, that that court of of miracles was just yes. spectacular. And like many things, this is one that was supposed to be a quote unquote you know temporary one year show. Because remember, they were going to put a, a Hercules show in here that never came yes. to be. So they did the the. Zero to Hero well, well, Parade. Well, well re- remember before uh, Hunchback, they had the uh, Spirit Pocahontas, of Pocahontas yeah. show, which they had uh, shipped in from Disneyland, and that lasted barely a year. Yeah, it, it, a lot of people forget that most of these shows are only meant to last for a year or two. You know, when, when Animal Kingdom opened, uh, Pocahontas and her forest friends and Festival of Lion King were just supposed to be placeholders mm-hmm. Um uh, for uh, uh, two years, you know, the Beastly Kingdom was going to be coming, and so just this just needed to fill that gap, and so they went on the cheap with both shows, well, you know, just to get that done, because, you know, and again, you can't tell whether an audience is going to fall in love with a show or not. Who, who, who would have suspected that Beauty and the Beast at, uh, <laughs> at, at, the, at the studios <laughs> would still be running? Since and still packing the house, you know. And they still and, and of the course house. they rewrote the show so it's chronological, you know. And they they did some changes, but basically that's the show. Yeah. <laughs> but well, the other thing that this it's not just it's not really this show, but this space had uh, the, one of the big issues was that it was an open air theater, and yes. it's in Florida. So you might think of the the. the uh, the Backlot Theater as, oh, I remember going to see Star Wars Weekends and all the shows in there, and it was so wonderfully in air-conditioned. That was not the original theater. This was an open-air theater. Right. I remember sitting there on some incredibly hot summer days, and if you're closer to the back of that theater, it could get a little toasty in there, even with the fans and things like that, because it's not just the sun, but it's the lights and it's the people, so... Um, you know, and, and you think, why does Disney keep making these uh, <laughs> uh, choices? Because the, the same thing happened at the uh, uh, Tomorrowland Theater, mm-hmm. you know? And and the same thing happened at Theater of the Stars. You know, you talk about when the, the studios opened, there at the front entrance where Sunset Boulevard is now was this amphitheater, Theater of the Stars. Right. And, and, and the first show they had there was uh, Hollywood, Hollywood, with the Disney characters and the Disney girls dancers. So, so, so this is the next generation Kids of the Kingdom here. And uh, they also did uh, shows like uh, uh, Dick Tracy, Diamond Double Cross, and... Uh, um, Oh, oh, uh, pretty woman with uh, Miss Piggy uh, mm-hmm. coming in there uh, towards the end. But again, it's not covered. Right. And so when it's hot, you're sitting on on these uh, fiberglass uh, benches, you know. And it's like, oh, jeez, <laughs> you know. I must really. And and <laughs> then sometimes if the sun was in the wrong position, that that that's in your eye. 
you know? And, and then they introduced Beauty and the Beast live on stage there at that at, uh, uh, theater of uh, uh, theater of the stars. And uh, uh, again, Beauty and the Beast so popular that when they expanded Sunset Boulevard, uh, they built um, uh, a new theater mm-hmm. of the stars. You know, uh, just to house Beauty and the Beast. And of course, the rumors out there, and I have heard no confirmation on this whatsoever the rumors out there is that yes they're thinking of replacing beauty and the beast with uh, um a frozen mm-hmm. show uh there or a tangled show but but they they always talk about that you know at, at disney it's always jello you know one of the things i miss at beauty and the beast uh, live on stage four for a dollar yeah the opening act because it was such a surprise right? it, was, it was an acapella uh, quartet and and uh, they would uh, do a pre-show they would do it you know before the show there and then it was like that is so cool i wish i could sing you know i i, I know when a group is good because if they're really good in in the back of my mind i go i could sing I could dance. No, you can't. Not when you hear that. (laughs) So, you know, again, as I as I'm going through my mental and and written down list of shows, I'm going to go from one of the most beloved, beautiful, spectacular shows with Hunchback to one of those head scratchers because why did they do this? Well, you know, because or or what. Or what went wrong? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think I think necessarily went wrong, but I think when you think of Disney, you think of the incredible library of characters and stories, so much so that you would never, ever think that they would need to go outside the company to get something so compelling that they need to bring it into the studios. But that's exactly what they did in 1995 when they said, you know what we need? We need a little bit more Ace Ventura. In the in the, in the studios, <laughs> so there was a very. It was no, a, I, I remember that, and I remember it was a little Ninja, stunt show. Ninja Mutant Turtles, there. Yeah, and so all that. Yeah, we could almost combine the two. So in uh, 1995, they bring in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, to promote the the When Nature Calls film. And if you remember the old right. uh, backlot area. Again, outside, very, very hot, but it was this short show, you know, 15, 20-minute show that they did outside, but they licensed, you know, they don't own Ace Ventura. They had to license him from, uh, I think it was Morgan Creek at the time, and right, Ace was going to come out of his office, he was going to do autographs, and, and, you know, obviously the, the music would play, Ace wouldn't come out, and then hilarity would, uh, would ensue, ensue. <laughs> um, and... Then I think he at one point he came like in a car and then he was looking for a bat and there was some uh, meet and greet and photo ops. There was sort of like these those fake photo backdrops where you could be sitting on it was like sitting on a, a gator or sitting on something with with Ace Ventura. And I think there was maybe like a, a, a crocodile or something coming out of, of the water. But it was um, it was a very odd goofy <laughs> yeah it, it, i'm trying it to think <laughs> it was very frantic it was very loud and and there certainly didn't seem to be a, a coherent uh, storyline it, it it was just the fact of hey look you can see ace ventura 
Right. Then he's like know? looking yeah. for a spider. Then he's looking for a bat. Then he's looking for like he checks his pants. And he's like looking for a fly. And he's you know so yeah. it was a sort of very quick kind of gaggy. I mean, much like the movie itself. Um, and then um, and I think at the end, like he doesn't he like fall off a building or falls through the yes, building yes. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that was the climax. That was the uh, the uh, blow off. It, you know, one of the interesting things you bring up, though, too, is, is it really was like about a twelve, fifteen minute uh, show, and and that's what started to happen at at, at Disney. Is is that originally shows like you know Golden Horseshoe? You you know you're talking about thirty, forty minutes, and uh, even even uh, uh, stage shows. You know, out in front of the the castle. You know, or you, you're talking twenty to thirty minutes, and what has happened today, and I don't know whether it's because of uh, lack of attention span or whether it's uh, or what, but but shows are generally down to twelve to you know fifteen minutes. Well, and, 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 and but some of these and some of these. Sh- I mean, you know, I'm, I'm using shows in air quotes because right. Ace Ventura um, again, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Goosebumps, all these like weird things. Would happen not on a, to call it a stage is a bit of a misnomer. They right. would sort of happen on these mini sets on uh, New York Street and and some of the back you know back areas like that. Yeah, and and you've got to remember too that sometimes in the in the uh, you know the program map that you got each day. These were not listed as shows, but were listed as meet and greets. Right, because they were four or five minutes. I mean, they were very very short. Um, yeah, and I think right after wasn't it right after. I think right after Turtles was uh, the Power Rangers, and then after Power Rangers yes. was Goosebumps. Yes, yes, and 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 I hate to admit that at the time Goosebumps came, I had no idea what Goosebumps. I didn't was. either. Yeah, I was I was sort of, a, and I was never a Power Ranger guy. Um, I think I was more excited to meet Ace Ventura than I was uh, than I was the Turtles. <laughs> uh, but I think you mentioned too, Jimmy. I mean, sort of as long as we're sort of talking about these types of shows that are at the studios. The one that I did really enjoy that was, um, I think, right around 90 was the Here Come the Muppets show. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was actually uh, uh, 90 to 91. It, it was uh, a year before the opening of Muppet Vision 3D because they were just absolutely sure Henson was going to sign off the contract because Henson really didn't want to do the business end anymore. He wanted to just be involved with creative. And Henson was working on all sorts of projects for Disney, including a TV show uh, for, uh, for the Disney Channel, which would have featured The Little Mermaid. And so The Little Mermaid would have been real, but all of the um, uh, other characters like Flounder and, and, and uh, Sebastian and all this would have been Henson puppets. And they, they actually fil- filmed two um, uh, episodes, two half-hour episodes. So here come the Muppets is they want to do something to introduce the characters, you know, to the parks because, uh, and we did this on a previous show, the whole mm-hmm. uh, Muppet Studios that was going to be over, you know, on the other end of the park. And so uh, this was going to be the first show to introduce um uh, the Muppets uh, uh, to that, but again, it, it was specifically done as, again, this is a placeholder show. This will be here for a year, two years tops, <laughs> and uh, uh, so it lasted a little more than a year. 
But, uh, you know, uh, before we get all this other stuff up and running. So what do you want to talk about with Here Come the Muppets? Well, I, I think... You know, again, we we talked about the the little Muppet show that that appeared when Miss that had Miss Piggy's trailer outside. This was the one that was in the um, the the so again separate conversation. It, it was in the theater. This was part that of the, later became Voyage of the Little Mermaid, right? Yeah. Which was actually originally part of the backstage studio tour when the backstage studio tour was like a right. two two and a half hour like. I mean that Marathon. was the yeah that was that was, you talk about wanting to sit through ten minutes go through it was two and a half hours but and and and, and, and there's no way of escaping there's no way of escaping yeah you there's can't no you can't chicken eggs you can't saying, chicken eggs halfway out, right out. if you're in you're in so um, yeah but what I do remember about this show um, specifically was the Muppets that they used were not hand puppets but they were life size character costume, costume characters, characters. Yeah. and you know we we made a big deal when mickey started to be a talking mickey up on stage or in the, the town square mm-hmm. theater the mouths moved on these guys you know back in the early 90s absolutely you know and, and again we take all of this stuff just for granted and, and again for those who hadn't seen this show again we're talking costume characters kermit is on on stage and he's waiting for the show to start, but the other Muppets are late. They haven't shown up. And so on stage, they have this massive um, video phone. So you can see the person talking at the other end. And so Mickey Mouse calls up and says, well, how's the show going, Kermit? And Kermit, oh, it's just fine. And then Kermit starts to panic. So after Mickey Mouse hangs up, Kermit calls the operator. And who is the operator? Lily Tomlin. I love this. As, as Ernestine, Ernestine from yeah. Laughing. Yeah. And, and so um, uh, they get Miss Piggy on the phone. Miss Piggy says, look, I'm in a meeting with, you know, top executives. But, but you can see that she's in her uh, uh, dressing room. She's got mud on her face and a rope. And then when she uh, finds out that, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm on, I'm on screen, you know, uh, she turns off the phone and then is rushing to get there. And uh, then uh, Fozzie phones and he says, I'm lost, you know, I'm, I'm lost. And, and Kermit says, no, you're not. Just open the door. And Fozzie opens the door and now he's on stage. And um, uh, Fozzie says that uh, Dr. Keith and the electric uh, mayhem are, are coming by monorail. And, and Kermit says, the monorail doesn't stop here. And Fozzie says, well, it does now. And then on the side of the stage, the front of the monorail comes crashing through. And Dr. T and the Electric Mayhem, you know, and that same device that brought that monorail through, that's the same device that brings out um, Ariel's Rock in mm-hmm. Voyage uh, of the Little Mermaid and then br- brings it back. See, this is why you guys listen to WDW <laughs> Radio, is, is you hear, find these things you can't find anywhere else right. in any other book or anything, you know. And, um, uh, you know, and, and throughout the... Uh, 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 the show, you know, they're singing songs too. So Kermit is singing. It's not easy being green. You know, they, they, they sing, I love rock and roll. Uh, 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 Dr. Teeth and electric mayhem. They're, they're doing the song, uh, shout, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and Bean so, Bunny, Bean uh, Bunny was in this too. Yes. Bean Bunny was in because believe it or not, uh, Henson was pushing Bean Bunny. Mm-hmm. Bean Bunny was supposed to be the, uh, the star of, uh, uh, Muppet 3D, 
you know. But and now um, he and Roger Rabbit are, are you know they're working on I four right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> what did they're they selling, they're put assholes over both of those characters? There? Um, you know, and and again, it, it's one of those things of you never know what characters audiences are going to fall in love with. Uh, audiences thought, oh, Bean Bunny's nice, but they didn't fall in love with Bean Bunny. You know, you don't you don't see people dressing up as Bean Bunny for mm-hmm. Halloween, you know, or <laughs> I've I've got to get Bean Bunny merchandise. You you know, you can't push it. It, it it's either there or not. And then when the show closed, as long as we're talking about live shows, there was another live show out back by um, Mama Melrose, just by the exit of Muppet 3D. Muppets on location, mm-hmm. days of swine <laughs> and roses. You know, which is basically. Um, uh, and and you did have the um, uh, Muppet puppets uh, on 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 some of these, and 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 the uh, the premise, of course, is, is that they're filming uh, a show. I don't know whether it's a TV show or a movie or or, or whatever. And uh, but that closed in '94 uh, uh, because again, unfortunately, Jim Henson passed away before you know he signed off the contract and then um eisner went on the cheap and went to the henson family and said i know we negotiated such and such and such and such a price but now that jim's no longer here uh he was a main major asset Mm -hmm. we're going to cut back you know the offer and and the disney and the henson family was just appalled you know and so that never got signed off until you know later bob Iger came on board and sort of uh, uh, mended uh, some bridges there. But, yeah, there were, you know, and I, I'm, I'm sure that one of the things you're going to ask uh, the listeners is for them to, to write in to the comments and the phone in and say, what was one of their favorite shows, you know, at Walt Disney World? And what show would they love to see come back, you know, to, to Walt Disney World? I, I kind of dug I, I dug uh, the Muppets on location the, the swine and roses because it was like informal outside and the the songs that they played were uh, there was a it ran the gamut from like yakety sax to feelings yeah. mm-hmm. to there was a lot of show tunes and and um, I think the wasn't the grand finale like everything's coming up roses like Miss Piggy did uh, right. her, her big finale so I, I kind of I dug that, and I, and I like a lot of these shows that that take place um, outside um, into mm-hmm. the next quick. But there's, listen, there's a couple other big ones that I think that we we have to hit, and I know that this we're going long, but who cares? Because this is a lot of fun, and I like going down uh, memory <laughs> okay. lane. I, I'm going to, I'm going to I'll, go. I'll try. I'll try to limit my my comments. Go I'm going to try and do this. Hit some of these big. All right, issues. so I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the sentimental favorite. And I'm going to try not to cry. But, um, you know, my kids right now are, God help us, they're 15 and 13, and they loved, loved, loved watch. I, I should, let me rephrase that. I loved, loved, loved watching Bear in the Big Blue House with them on TV oh, in yes. the morning. Oh, yes, the original version. The, the original, original one, version. right? So this they, is where. Because they kept adapting, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. so this, so where the old soundstage restaurant is, is where the Playhouse Disney Live on Stage was. So the the theater was very much the same. You sat on the floor, but here and this only ran for uh, about two years, but it had Bear and Tutter 
and Pip and Pop and the cast member came out and they sang the goodbye song and the moon song and it just sort of continues to hit me in all the fields. It had such heart. Yeah. You know, and 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 I thought, you know, in in terms of a uh, a character, the the big blue bear himself was just. You know, you fell in love with him. He, he was, and, and he was a Henson and, character. He, he was a, a Jim Henson character. That I noticed that. Well, how is he operating? Because I know one hand is going up through the neck, <laughs> you know, to operate the the mouth, and there's another hand, you know, operating the arm. How come? How are both hands being? And and then I saw that there was a wire, so that. Uh, the, the I'm not listening to this just, part. As was in my mind, that was the, bare the up on stage. Was just so wonderful that he could move in such a way that it didn't even occur to you, you know, how is this being done? It's just, well, this is real. This is real. Yeah. 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 I loved it. And then the, the Luna, the moon and, and the, mm-hmm. I, I love, and can, I still to this day, um, although my kids obviously are younger, when I go with people, with young kids, the audience participation and interaction is just wonderful. I, I don't have any, you know, emotional connection to, this newer generation of Disney characters, but um, Bear in the Big Blue House in that show, and then he was in the the Stars and Motor Cars Parade too. But I love the sets, I love the music, I love the characters, I love, love, love that show so much. Was there ever a Kim Possible show? I loved Kim Possible. There was a I, Kim I, Possible walk around character in that sort yes, of backstage area. But I don't know area. if Kim Possible was ever in one one of those shows. I I loved, I loved. I, Phineas and Ferb. I love Phineas and Ferb. Yeah. I thought there should be a Phineas and Ferb show, you know. And uh, yeah, we're we're not even going to be able to get to things like Scalidoscope and Epcot Center, Daredevil Spectacular, and Splashtacular, and all that. But but what are some of your other favorites there, uh, Jim? We listen. Somebody in their car on the treadmill, walking their dog, feeding their kid, is yelling, going Mangello, Corcus. How have you not mentioned? The greatest stage show to ever grace the Walt Disney World property with arguably the most important popular character in Disney history, which is Dick Tracy's Diamond Double Cross. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Because this was a big deal. Dick Dick, Dick Tracy was going to be the This was it. This was going to be a big deal. Attractions, things like that. And, uh, you know, and again, you know, this is why... I'm very forgiving of entertainment. They had to put the show together before the film was finished. <laughs> so right. so they basically had to make some guesses as to the 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 tone and how some characters interacted and and all of that. But but I liked it and and I will tell you that was the one show where I saw it both at uh Disney MGM and I saw the version out at uh Videopolis yeah. in Disneyland. Which again, there was a larger stage, so there was uh, different effects and things like that. Even though the the core of the show was the same, and again, I'm one of those guys who I like Dick Tracy. I I, I like. Well, Dick well you're Tracy. one of the guys who actually knows who Dick Tracy is, so yeah. you know. <laughs> that's, that's very true. That's but this was true. a big deal. Now remember, so. This was the the beginning of what was going to be the Disney decade. I think they paid Warren Beatty in in 2019 dollars about 90 billion dollars to do this and it was Al Pacino and it was Madonna 
And this was like a half hour show. So this was not one of those four minute, have them come in, do a little stunt and leave. This was a big half hour show that they put on um, at the old Theater of the Stars before right. it was the new Theater of Stars. And it only ran for less than a year. I- I'd be surprised if right. we did a show of hands right. yeah, by people I, I, in the. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and, uh, yeah, and for the premiere of the movie, the premiere of the movie was over at uh, the AMC Theater at uh, um, Pleasure Island, and your ticket was you were given a Dick Tracy T-shirt to wear. That was the ticket to get you in to see the show. But it, but they had a star-studded uh, uh, premiere over at the uh, uh, studios where where the the uh, Dick Tracy Diamond Double Cross, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, it debuted uh, and uh, you know a parade down uh, uh, Hollywood Boulevard, the the whole bit there, and so uh, yeah, this oh was my like you said, this was supposed well, to be a well, big deal, you know. And and again, I I tell people, uh, you know, people say, well, what is your favorite uh, Disney animated uh, 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 feature? Usually, it, that my default is I go with Dumbo. Dumbo, you know, just works for me and. And so I have a little unease about what's going to happen the end of March with this uh, <laughs> right. Tim Burton Dumbo. I will, even though I know it's not a sequel, I know it's not a remake, I'm just a little uneasy there. Um, but uh, I have found that every Disney animated film is somebody's favorite. Mm. I, I, I dated a, a girl named Tracy who I was just absolutely in love with, and her favorite film was uh, Aristocats. And I was going, how could you possibly love that? You know, the story makes no sense. And you've got uh, dogs from the deep south down in, you know, uh, turn of the century uh, uh, France. And they're reusing animation. And, you know, uh, but it, 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 it affected her. It affected her emotionally. And so I learned from her many things. But one of the things I learned was that every Disney animated film is somebody's, somebody's favorite, favorite animated yep. film. And, and I think we can apply that to these uh, stage shows, that every Disney stage show is um, uh, somebody's uh, favorite uh, There's some show. kid out there, there's some adult out there waiting for the Home on the Range sequel. Like, someday <laughs> there's going to be a Home it, on the Range it, attraction. Well, it, it could be. Well, you know, we talk about Dick Tracy. The reason we haven't seen a Dick Tracy sequel or, or somebody try to reboot that is that Warren Beatty still owns the rights, and he's still claiming, and that he can't he's get rid of them. Nobody will buy the rights, <laughs> right? Because who wants to see a story about a character whose main like bit of technology is his remarkable two-way wrist radio, which is yeah. called a phone? <laughs> so. Oh. All right, guess, a well, couple of quick. All right, a quick honorable you, mentions. You know how how fast how fast. Uh, you know, technology kept up. You know, the reason we had flip phones, you know, uh, was was because of Star Trek. That that's their communicator. And so when they were making those first phones, it was like, well, that makes sense. You have the, this cover, you know, uh, and all of this, and then you just flip it open, and there there it is. Um, but 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 again, I think we can we can agree that Disney produces some of the best shows whether whether it's with characters whether it's with live performers whether it's uh uh musicians you know um i i you know we would love to hear a steel drum band in adventureland mm-hmm. you know 
uh, we would love to see, uh, you know, um, a, a spaceman and spacewoman uh, <laughs> walking around Tomorrowland, you know, things like this. This is all part of the show, and it's all free. Yeah. It's all free. And one of the things that we don't realize is the success of Beauty and the Beast live on stage at um, uh, Disney MGM Studios. That is what convinced Michael Eisner to do a version for Broadway. Mm-hmm. He saw that it worked there. And so if we just plus it a little bit, right. we add a little bit. And so the fact that we have all of these wonderful Disney shows on Broadway, I always thought they should just take the Cirque du Soleil uh, uh, theater and convert it into a theater and have uh, uh, touring shows, traveling shows of, of Disney's you know, Broadway shows, you know, and, and even the, the, the shows that, that didn't make it, you know, that, uh, that died out of town or didn't last on, on Broadway as long as they thought. You know? Well, I think what what's coming there is it makes perfect sense having Disney characters in it and it's going to mm-hmm. breathe new life, not just into that theater, but into even that section of of uh, uh, Disney of Springs, Disney which, which Springs I think now. which yeah, I it, think it, is also going to. It's hard for me to keep remembering to call yeah. it Disney Springs. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I have to go, I have to I have to quickly go through a bunch of honorable mentions that almost okay. were very high on the list. I loved, loved, love. If they brought it back tomorrow, I would be thrilled because it only lasted like three months. Tiana's Showboat Jubilee, although it made no logical sense according to story, being in Liberty Square, I absolutely love that little parade and the music and getting on the riverboat. It was just, it only lasted from like October 2009 to early January 2010. But, but you're absolutely right. I love that show. It worked on an emotional level. You didn't yep. have to, and you never stopped to think about, wait a minute, this doesn't make Who sense. Who cared? Yeah. I didn't even care. I, I did not care. I loved Lewis the Alligator and the trumpet, and then mm-hmm. I dug it. Um, I don't know if we mentioned Legend of the Lion King back. Um, but we, we mentioned it, but we didn't go into it. Yeah. yeah. But, but again, Legend of the Lion King still exists now. It, it just increased in size and moved to a different theater. Yeah. Um, I think that I would be remiss if we did not call out and and give attention to, and I think we mentioned it briefly, I consider the Adventurers Club, although it was a club that needed oh, admission at yes. some point, that was... We, 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 need, we need to do a whole show I agree. devoted to that, Lou. I agree. Because, because can... this year, this year is uh, uh, the anniversary of it yeah. opening, 89. So yeah. this is the... And, and also the anniversary of the... It closed uh, end of... Uh, Oh eight, so it's it's it, you know it's been yep. ten years since it's been gone, but boy, it lives on in my heart, and I cannot, for the life of me, understand why Disney didn't try and find some way of reviving it, you know, even over in Adventureland or whatever. As a, I don't know. believe that I don't believe that a modified concept is not still on the table somewhere. I, I believe in my little well, you heart know, of hearts. You, you've, you've got those uh, uh, C S E A, mm-hmm. you know, Society of Explorers and Adventurers, but it's just not the same. It, it just hasn't worked the same way. I think, and I, and that's where I think it's going to be going. I think they're going to develop that storyline. They're going to tie it into the Adventures Club. They're going to tie it into the other parks. You know, sort of almost mm-hmm. radiating from its home base at Skipper Canteen to the parks worldwide. I, I think that is leaving a great story 
dare I say, money on the table, um, and maybe it's wishful thinking, but I do believe that we will see more SEA in the next two to five years. Yeah. And maybe I'm hoping so. So um, I, these two very quickly may not necessarily qualify as quote-unquote stage shows, but um, big kudos to Mulch, Sweat, and Shears, especially when you start talking about fan oh, favorites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't – most of the stage was almost up in the sky, and maybe this is a separate cop topic for another day, but the Epcot Daredevil Circus Spectacular. Oh, was yes. Oh, yes. That's yeah. nobody believes. Like I think that I saw a guy on a wire with a motorcycle or well, something. And, and, but... and then and then they it covered over the fountain and they put elephants on it and the <laughs> elephants then damaged the fountain. You know, and so you had to wait until a later show, um, Splashtacular, uh, which was actually an adaptation of a Tokyo show. And boy, I wish I could see some of the shows in Tokyo. I've seen some videotapes of some of those shows. They're just yeah. terrific. But because of Splashtacular and they're using all of that water, they rehabbed part of the fountain, which is why we have the dancing fountain mm-hmm. shows, is because, you know, that was then put in for that. But, oh, my God. Yeah, and, and again, we only covered just the tip of some of the Walt Disney World uh, uh, shows, generally the, the ones that we saw uh, personally, but there were so many more before we even came out. And... Uh, uh, there's Disneyland shows, Tokyo Disneyland shows. As I said, I've seen some videotapes. They're just amazing. Uh, Wait, uh, American Disneyland Idol, Ex- American Idol experience. Right? We, I mm-hmm. mean, you could sort of. Uh, Wait, what about? I can't believe we didn't mention this when we were talking about Theater of the Stars. Hollywood's Pretty Woman. Yes, you know that, and I think it lasted like two weeks. Like that was a really, really short show. <laughs> well, you know, and again, you have to realize. When it comes to Disney, Disney considers entertainment the uh, cheapest and quickest way to fill in a space, you know, because it, it, it takes much less time than an attraction, much less money, much less planning. You can put it in there, and then you can get rid of it, you know, with the snap of a finger as well. Yeah. But I, I, I think that uh, human interaction and all makes a difference when you're in the park. You know, if, if there was no live entertainment in the park, it would be a completely different experience and I think a poorer experience. And so I want to give a thanks and a a shout-out to all of those anonymous entertainers and uh, stage managers and directors and and all of that uh, who who never got any credit, but, boy, they they made my experience at... uh, uh, a Disney theme park magical. Thank you so much for all of that. It it did make a here, difference. Here, here, I agree, and and right, and I, I agree. There's something special still about live theater and live performances, and the incredibly talented people, both on stage and backstage, that make those happen. So, if you don't, if you listener, do not necessarily go to or take the time. They are some of the best attractions and attractors in all of the Disney parks, any of the Disney parks. Uh, Jim Corcus, you, my friend, are one of my favorite attractions. We have so many <laughs> more things that we need to cover. And if you... I, and, and now with all the Easter candy coming, I'm, I'm going to be a much bigger attraction. I'm still eating my, my Valentine's Day 70% off candy that I bought on February 15th. But 
I'm going to put a link in the show notes to Jim Corcus. You are now up to how many books? Oh, gosh, uh, almost uh, at 25. I've got a new book coming out uh, end of March, which we'll be uh, talking about. But for those who uh, want to hear more stories, uh, go pick up uh, Vault of Walt, Volume 7, the Christmas edition. It has uh, a, a section just on Christmas stories about Walt, a, a section of Christmas stories about the parks, this, even including shows and attractions that no longer exist there, a, a section on Christmas stories of uh, movies and animation like uh, uh, Prep and Landing and Nightmare Before Christmas, all of that, and a, a section on miscellaneous like uh, Toys for Tots and uh, Macy's Parade and, and, and all of those things. And, and remember, I'm an orphan, <laughs> and <laughs> the, this, this helps pay my bills is, is, is buying those books. And we've got a spectacular book coming the end of March, the Walt Disney World 1971 Companion, covering the entire history of the creation of Walt Disney World from 1958, when Walt first had Buzz Price uh, do a survey of the East Coast, and particularly Florida, all the way through the end of 1972. And that'll be coming out the end of March, so... Keep your eyes open for that, and Lou says uh, he might have we're gonna me back do a, on. So yeah, I can we're going to do a share some stories. We're going to do a companion podcast about Walt Disney World before opening day, nineteen seventy-one, and uh, it'll be a great tie-in to the book. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to not one, not two, but all of Jim Corcus's books. So if you go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, you'll find it there. While you're there, Jim and I want to hear from you. What is your favorite extinct stage show or show from Walt Disney World? Leave it there. Go to Facebook.com. Actually, go to www.radio.com slash community. I'll post the question there in the Box People group. And Jim Corcus, big round of applause for you, my friend. I love doing these shows with you. I love the joy and the passion and the stories that you bring. And I cannot wait to do this again. Lou, you've always been a great friend. For those who are listening, thank you for hanging in there so long. I, I know that this was a long show, but, you know, we get passionate and excited about uh, uh, Disney history. And may all your Disney dreams come true. I dig it. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I don't think we can do a short trip. <laughs> Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or just how well you pay attention to the details in which you see or hear, sometimes yes, even taste. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. But of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week's question was pretty straightforward. Don't know about simple because I asked you to tell me where in the world is or was the Electric Eel Arcade. And I had to put the word was in there because the word arcade was in there. Because unfortunately for an old nerd like me, I miss the fact that many of the arcades in and around Walt Disney World have gone the way of the Timekeeper, the Skyway, Food Rocks, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Toad. You get the idea. But the answer that I was looking for was, of course, Old Key West. 
I want to thank the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, and again, last week you were playing for all of my digital products, which include my 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World book, as well as all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, all of which, by the way, still on sale on the WW Radio shop, as well as on iTunes and Amazon. I'm also going to send you a WW Radio vinyl sticker, a pop socket for your phone, a t-shirt, and because I just love and think they're so awesome, I have one of those cool light-up Thor Mjolnir hammers from our Marvel Day at Sea cruise. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Grace G from Italy which I think is awesome that somebody from Italy listens. It's also going to cost me a fortune in postage, but that's okay. I really don't care. Congratulations, Grace. I will get your prize package out to you right away. But if you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. Okay, I'm going to make this one simple and straightforward once again, and all you need to do is finish this sentence. You know... I predict that one day millions of people will learn blank and blank sitting in front of their TV sets. That's all you need to do is fill in what those two blanks are and what that prediction is. And But millions of people will one day be sitting in front of their TV sets learning. All you need to do is go to this week's podcast at www.radio.com. Click on this week's episode. Use the online form there. You have until Sunday, March 3rd at 11.59 p.m., once again, you're going to play for all the digital products, the vinyl sticker, and a WW Radio t-shirt. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Huge thanks to everybody who is part of our WW Radio Nation family over on Patreon, including some new and longtime members, including, but not limited to, Tony Shackelford, Justin Blandin, Karen Glowacki, Matthew Dominguez, Juanita Martin, John Delancey, Lisa Gilmore, Michael Sizemore, Andre Bourque, Karen Haas, Patrick Knapp, Joe Holton, Alan Cole, and Ada St. Clair. I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. And if you want to find out how you can not only help the show, because it does help immeasurably, but also get cool rewards every month, including new scavenger hunts you can do at home or take with you to the parks. We also have a private Facebook group, magic band covers, logo gear, t-shirts, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World, as well as exclusive live video group calls where it's not just you watching me, but we're all on the call together. Those are so much fun. To find out more, and how you can help, you can visit www.radio.com slash support. Again, this is completely optional. It's a great way to help the show. And please don't forget that a portion of your contribution does go to the Make-A-Wish Foundation through our Dream Team project. And of course, I don't want your experience with the show to end when the show does. So that's why I want to hear from you, to talk with you, for you to be part of the community and conversation. Go to www.radio.com slash community. That will take you to our Box People group on Facebook. That's where the conversation takes place. You can also connect with me other places on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on the Twitter and the Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and what else am I missing? I think that's it. And you can also connect with me. It's also my personal profile on Facebook as well. Don't forget that in addition to the podcast, I broadcast live every week, sometimes more than once, but every week on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, that's when I broadcast WW Radio Live, where you are part of the conversation. We'll talk about this week's Walt Disney World news 
as well as anything that you want. Sometimes it's from the home studio, sometimes it's from out in the parks. And if you turn on notifications on the Facebook page and the group, which you should anyway, you'll also get notified when I'm out and about from the parks as well. I want to hear from you too. So if you have a question I'm going to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com or call the voicemail. Even better, be part of the show at 407 407- 900-9391 and of course you know as much as I love connecting and talking with you online nothing beats a handshake and a hug that's why I continue to do events meets of the month our next meet of the month will likely be the weekend of the 30th of March stay tuned to the events page at WW Radio on Facebook uh, we also have one spot left for our uh, group Adventures by Disney to Japan we have lots of spots left for our cruise out of New Orleans in February next year also stay tuned for some other group events coming up in the future. I also do some on-the-road meetups as well as I travel to speak. I'm going to try and line one up for San Diego next month for Social Media Marketing World. But if I can come to your business, your conference, your school, your event, visit loumangelo.com, find out some of the different topics I can speak about. And also I'd love to be able to help you do what you have helped me do, which is turn this thing that I love into this thing that I do. So whether you are a content creator, have a brick and mortar shop, have an idea, or just want to to grow what you're doing, visit lumangelo.com. I am going to be opening up spots for my weekly live mastermind group, which meets every Tuesday night. Again, if you go to lumangelo.com, you can find out more there. There's also an application that's going to start up sometimes next month. Also, stay tuned. I'm going to open up tickets for our mastermind retreat this June here in Walt Disney World, limited to just 10 people. We get together for a weekend in a luxury vacation home not far from Walt Disney World and really dive deep into you, your business, have a little bit of fun, a whole lot of food as well. To find out more, to see pictures of the home as well as videos from last year, visit lumangelo.com, click on the retreat. Also, we still have spots opened up for our Momentum Weekend Workshop in Walt Disney World. It's a two-day event, September 28th and 29th. Super early bird pricing is still going on now, so you can literally save hundreds off your ticket. Thanks, as always, to Becky Mankin and the team from Mouse Fan Travel at mousefantravel.com. Whether you're coming to World or Land or Alani or a cruise or you want a vacation home, they can help you no matter where you're going they will still give you that same level of personal attention and exceptional service. Thanks always to Tim Foster over at Celebrations Magazine. You can find him and order subscriptions and back issues at celebrationspress.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, all I ask is that if you help, if you like the show, please help the show by spreading the word, letting your friends know about it, tweet out that you're listening, share on Facebook or other social accounts, and if you can, take 10 seconds. It's all it's going to take to rate and review the show over on iTunes. I want to thank some recent reviewers like S Schools 42, who says Lou is the epitome of Disney spirit. It's a must listen to for any Disney fan whose love of all things. Disney is infectious. His guests are excellent and he's gracious and enthusiastic host. Thank you. The true magic of this podcast is Lou's positive spirit. Whether he's doing a restaurant review, a top 10, a hidden treasure or anything in between his passion and positivity, make the podcast unique and leave you wanting more. Lou personifies the Disney commitment to excellence and service. Walt himself would be, oh, S schools, I am literally getting choked up, and I appreciate that because I am passionate, I am positive, for no other reason than it's who I am. And maybe that's not for everybody, and that's fine, but I love this community, I love this place, I love 
talking about things and doing things and hopefully bringing you something every week, sometimes multiple times a week, that simply makes you happy and brings you a little bit of joy to your day, your week, your job, wherever you might be. So I appreciate you saying that. And SalPal01 says, Lou, such a joy. Aw, Lou has a delightful, positive personality. It's a pleasure to hear how excited he is about one of my favorite topics, which is Disney. Such a great taste of Disney magic while I'm commuting or taking care of chores at home. Thanks, Lou. Thank you, SalPal. Thank you, S-Schools42. I I cannot tell you how much that means to me. If you want to rate and review the show, just search for WDW Radio on iTunes or go to WDWRadio.com slash iTunes. I'll show you how to do it. Link to you right there. Finally, again, thank you, thank you, thank you, not just for the kind words and the reviews, but for listening this week, every week, this far into the show too. I am so grateful to you and for you And if I can help you some way, I mean it. Let me know how I can do that. And whatever that thing is that you want to do, that you're striving to do, that place or that thing that you are trying to achieve, just remember, if you want to find results, you have to get rid of all the excuses. And again, I want to try and help you do that. So reach out to me, come to the retreat, come to Momentum, however I can help you. But my one wish is that you have your best week ever and i hope that it's a delicious one too go eat something yummy i'm about to go do the same thing when we're done here thank you so very much for listening so until next time see ya hey lou ben burke calling from charlotte north carolina i'm calling you in between my runs uh i just did a quick uh run and now i'm gonna do some strides uh but i usually listen to your podcast during runs uh i used to be able to finish an episode during a run but uh Unfortunately, now I have to uh, pause your episodes in there. It's nice. I can listen to uh, mo- one episode now for multiple runs, but I used to be able to get through a lot more during the week. So I always look forward to a new episode coming out. Now I'm going backwards. I think I'm, uh, I'm switching back and forth between new ones, and I just finished episode 465. We'll keep going backwards. Uh, I love the episode uh, talking about cruises. I am a avid wannabe cruiser uh and so i have a question for you and maybe all the listeners is i'm contemplating going on a cruise i definitely want my first one to be a disney cruise uh but i the price has me scared a little bit uh, based upon other cruise lines so should i have disney be my first one or should i wait and uh, save up and maybe go on another cruise experience that and then uh get disney have disney dc that creme de la creme. Thanks for all you do, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, Lou. This is Brad Hubbard from Lexington, Kentucky. I had to do a good bit of traveling this weekend, so I had time to listen to your recent podcast um, on the Marvel Cruise. Uh, very entertaining and uh, excited to maybe do that one day. My family's never been on a, a cruise or a Disney cruise at that, so maybe that'll be our our first one that we go on. Uh, the main reason I actually wanted to call is my sister-in-law, Blair, just recently started the Disney College program, so I wanted to give her a shout-out. Go, Blair! Proud of you, girl. All right, well, I hope you have a good one. And uh... Hey, Lou, this is Andy from the Minneapolis-St. Paul area of Minnesota. Stuck in, well, not so cold weather right now, but Club Show 543 on what to do when it's cold out at Walt Disney World, 
I was down there for work in December. Had a free evening and went to Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party, where it was about 50 when I arrived. And being the northern boy that I am, I had on shorts, long sleeve shirt, and a jacket, a light jacket, and, and flip-flops. I was impressed with the half a dozen northern people I could pick out who were doing the same thing in shorts and flip-flops. And when the temperature dipped as night went on, when it was in the 40s, and I think it was about 42 when I left, the amount of people that were bundled up in jackets, gloves, and hats. And for me, I'm thinking, hey, this is actually warm up. Um, the highlight of the night was a, actually, it was a great time at the Very Merry Christmas Party. I had a chuckle when I was getting on the ferry boat to bring me back to the parking lot. When I was walking on to the boat, the captain came on and said, hey, we have a northerner on board. The only ones that are crazy enough to wear shorts and flip-flops when it's just cold outside. And had a good laugh with one of the other um, gentlemen working the ferry boat. He was a retired principal from the area. And we were chuckling because he was bundled up. And then even though he was at one point a northern guy himself, he has quickly, as it sounds like you have, um, becoming kind of a weather, uh, kind of a weather weenie. But anyways, love the show. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Hey, Lou. It's Christine Morrison from Flower Town, PA. It's Wednesday afternoon, the quiet, before the kids come home from school. It's my day off. I went running this morning because it's so nice and warm up here compared to last week. Listen to you and Timmy Foster doing a top ten. Woohoo! I was waiting for one of those. And so I'm running on these trails in this park, and there's lots of other people, and I'm running, and I am laughing outwardly at you guys, and everybody's looking at me, so I don't even care. Um, it was great. You guys make me laugh. I just love it. Got to do more of those. Um, love hearing you and Timmy together. Anyway, uh, let's see. What do I have to tell you guys? Oh, I'm working on my Facebook page for my business, trying to keep it moving forward. It's doing really, really well. I'm really, really busy. And um, I owe it partly to all of you guys for giving me such positive uh, reinforcement. And somebody posted on WDW Radio how they – um, I'm, I'm sorry, on the box group, how they like our box group and podcast the most as far as the Disney ones go because we are so positive. So, um, And it's true. There's never anything negative on there. Everybody's so encouraging to everybody else. I loved the um, post about what does everybody do for a living. That was so much fun to read. Um, everybody really got into it, and it was really kind of cool to see what everybody does for a living um, when they're not obsessing over Disney. So have a great week, everybody. Make somebody smile. And I'll see you guys in the box on Wednesday night. Bye. Hello, Lou Mangiello. It's Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York. And I'm calling in to say we are under snow again, and it is freezing up here. I cannot wait to one day live in Florida. <laughs> there are 344 days left until the WDW Radio 
cruise out of New Orleans. And then there are 200 and, oh, my goodness gracious, 28 days until that Japan trip that I just heard. There's only one room left. So if you guys are interested, contact Becky Macon at Mouse Fan Travel for that information. And I have 96 days until I am back down in Orlando for a few days. I can't wait. Can't wait to get back to Disney Springs and try another new restaurant. Have a magical night, and everyone, stay warm. Talk to you real soon. Love ya. Now, where's everybody else? Uh Uh-oh, they're coming on the monorail. But, Fozzie... The monorail doesn't come through here. It does now!